self-driving themselves, fueled by electricity and hydrogen? This sounds like the makings of a futuristic novel, but actually this reality is closer than you think. With Tesla leading the way, battery electric cars are the fastest growing segment of the global automobile market. And with Norway, India, France, Britain and China announcing gasoline bans over the coming years, putting government incentives behind these commitments, we will likely witness the electric car go from novelty item to mainstream within the next 20 to 30 years. Autonomous driving currently being piloted in several U.S. cities and expected to appear on highways by 2025, and rumors of entries by tech companies like Google and Apple will only accelerate a transition to electric, significantly changing the way we own and operate vehicles. No question, we are in the midst of a major disruption of the automobile industry. But the idea of powering a car with electricity isn't a new one. In fact, over the last 100 years, we have seen two other market introductions of electric car technologies. So what's different about this one? In the 1800s, the mode of transportation was the horse-drawn carriage. Due to health and environmental concerns caused by the production of manure in city streets, people looked to the newly invented automobile as a clean alternative. Electric emerged as the early winner compared to dirty, noisy, and labor-intensive steam and gasoline-powered competitors. As electricity demand grew, so did the adoption of the electric car. However, it would be short-lived. In 1908, Henry Ford introduced the more affordable gasoline-powered Model T. Expansion of road infrastructure and the discovery of Texas crude oil put gasoline cars firmly in the lead. And by 1935, the electric car was largely extinct. Fast forward to 1990, the California Air Resources Board sets forth the mandate that requires that 2% of vehicles sold in the state would be required to have zero emissions by 1998, 5% by 2001, and 10% by 2003. By the mid-1990s, other states would follow, and automakers began working to modify their drivetrains. In 1997, GM would be the first to introduce a model, the EV1, which could compete with gas-powered cars on speed and price, but offered suboptimal ranges and long charge times. GM launched a leasing program in California putting 1,000 cars on the road, but by 2002, discontinued EV1 production, citing low consumer demand and profits repossessing and crushing all of the cars on the road, except for a few that were donated to museums. For the car tech geeks out there, I hear there's an EV1 in the Smithsonian America on the Move collection. But the reason for the market failure is complicated. In fact, a documentary was made about it in 2006, Who Killed the Electric Car?, which suggests that we were all at fault. What 
killed the electric vehicle, very simply, I think, is lack of corporate wisdom. Uh, in my opinion, it's, it's big oil that killed the electric car. The California Air Resources Board killed the electric car under huge pressure from the auto companies. They were an accessory to the murder, but the murder was committed by the General Motors Company. What really killed EVs was American consumers because they did not accept this idea, uh, did not embrace it, uh, that uh, vehicles could have these limited ranges and still be functional, useful. But another game-changing innovation was also getting some attention. Before accepting electric cars, the U.S. consumer would need a bridge technology between traditional gasoline and electric, an assurance that they wouldn't be left stranded on longer trips. In 2000, after testing the Prius in the Japanese market, Toyota began selling the gasoline-electric hybrid in the U.S. Rising gas prices and more stringent federal regulations created the perfect conditions for hybrids, and annual sales in the U.S. grew from less than 10,000 to 350,000 by 2007. Today, hybrids are mainstream, offered across all major brands. This increase in appetite for alternative-fueled vehicles opened the door once more for electric, and it would be one that would continue to grow with the help of high gasoline prices, government support, and entrepreneurship. Between 2008 and 2016, the Obama administration introduced legislation and funding to help accelerate the clean energy initiative, including the electrification of vehicles. One startup company emerged as a leader. Tesla introduced the first production battery electric car, the Roadster, in 2006. The price? A whopping 110,000. But by 2012, Tesla would sell more than 2,000 cars. CEO Elon Musk's initial strategy was to use the profits from the Roadster to develop future models that appealed to the broader consumer base improving the design and driving down manufacturing costs along the way. And cut costs he did. Two years later, Tesla offered the Model X at $50,000. And today, the base price for the latest Model 3 is $35,000. Why are we doing this? Why is Tesla, uh, why does Tesla exist? Why, why are we making electric cars? Uh, why does it matter? Um, it's because it's very important to accelerate the transition to sustainable transport. Not everyone believes the future is battery electric. Toyota, who knows a little bit about introducing disruptive technologies and having some success, is placing its bet on hydrogen fuel cells. Last year, the company introduced the Mirai fuel cell vehicle into the California market and after corporate and state incentives, it competes with the Model 3 on price and range. The cost and efficiency of lithium-ion battery technologies are tumbling, and in just a few years, the cost of electric vehicles is expected to be the same as their gasoline counterparts. Industry projections suggest that more than 50% of cars sold globally will be electric by 2040, representing more than 30% of the vehicles on the road. Considering it took gasoline 20 years to replace electric vehicles in the early 1900s, and there are 1.3 billion cars on the road today, that's pretty fast. 
But why is this important? And why now? In the 2015 Paris Climate Accord, countries pledged to commit to greenhouse gas emission reductions with the goal of limiting global warming to no more than 2 degrees Celsius from pre-industrial levels. To limit global emissions to this number within the century would require near-total decarbonization of global economic activity by 2060. The U.S. transportation sector accounts for a quarter of global greenhouse gas emissions, and while there are no guarantees, there are reasons to believe that we could decarbonize the automotive industry by 2060. What could accelerate our progress and what threatens it? What role does innovation play in advancing the climate agenda? These are questions that the Business Innovation and Climate Change Initiative team at UVA Darden's Batten Institute for Entrepreneurship and Innovation are trying to answer in a new briefing released this month titled, Path to 2060, Decarbonization of the Automobile Industry. The briefing reviews the global electric vehicle market, evolution of new technologies, entry by new ventures and established players, and the battle unfolding between battery electric and hydrogen fuel cells. Here to discuss the briefing is Mike Lennox, UVA Darden School of Business professor. Thanks for being with us today, Mike. Happy to be here. Now, in the report, we suggest that we're in the era of ferment with electric cars. Can you explain a little bit about what that means? So the era of ferment refers to the earliest stages of a technology disruption. It's usually in this era where we have a lot of experimentation taking place, uh, different technologies uh, being experimented with, uh, innovation is hopefully taking place at a fairly rapid clip, um, but overall penetration of the technology still might be actually quite low. And this isn't the first time that we've been in the position where electric car technology is being introduced into the U.S. market. Why do you think this time is different? Yeah, I think it's really important to observe that electric vehicles have been around as long as there's been automobiles uh, in the various earliest stages of the technology. Uh, and there have been various opportunities where electric vehicles have emerged over the course even of the last 30, 40 years. Um, I think what's different this time is the degree by which different incumbent firms and new entrepreneurial ventures have taken the technology and are bringing it to market, um, while overall penetration is still very low, about 1%, uh, we're still seeing just the amount of effort, the amount of R&D spend, the amount of new models being brought to market on a, on a level that we haven't seen uh, in at least 100 years. And I think what's interesting is that we see that a lot of the demand and the influence isn't necessarily coming from within the U.S., but maybe coming from Asia and other countries that are really pushing forward the electric agenda. Yeah, here in the U.S., obviously, people are very familiar with Tesla and what Tesla has done to drive the market forward. And, that, and that's mm -hmm. influencing the market not only here in the U.S., but globally as well. Mm -hmm. But there are some really interesting things happening overseas, in particular in China, uh, mm -hmm. and the efforts there to try to promote the electric vehicle industry and could end up being a huge uh, driver for this technology moving forward. Yep, and we're also seeing some announcements coming out of countries like Norway, India, France, Britain, and also China um, that they're moving toward uh, gasoline and diesel bans in the next 20 years. And so I think that could really have an influence. 
absolutely. on what happens in the U.S. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because I think one thing to realize is that um, auto companies are, are global companies, um, uh, and so what they produce for one market, they're going to want to produce for other markets as well. So what happens in these other regions are going to be important for driving overall conversion towards electric vehicles. So at the same time that we're seeing electric gaining this momentum, there are other technologies that are starting to disrupt the automobile industry and bringing in some unlikely players like autonomous driving. Um, what role do you see this technology playing in the adoption of electric vehicles? Well, of course, you could have a gasoline-powered car be an autonomous vehicle. Um, there's nothing that prohibits you from that. However, when you think of electric vehicles, there's a lot of complementarity with autonomous vehicles that you mm -hmm. could imagine that they might emerge and, and evolve uh, simultaneously. Uh, in particular, the electrical controls, um, even things like how you recharge an electric vehicle, arguably lend themselves more for autonomous vehicles than gasoline-powered cars. So I suspect that as we see autonomous vehicles take off, there will also be a subsequent uh, push towards electric vehicles with that as well. And I think uh, what we're seeing in terms of autonomous driving um, really coming out in urban centers bodes well to electric vehicles as well that may not have the range but can move people around these urban centers very easily. Um, companies like Uber um, are looking at autonomous and electric um, for various reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Again, it, you think about the, you know, the need for autonomous charging or autonomous mm -hmm. refueling of the vehicle. Um, it, arguably, it's just easier to do with an electric vehicle, especially a battery-powered electric vehicle, than it would be for a gasoline-powered car. So all of this is taking place right now. Um, I think we expect the next 20 years to be very exciting mm -hmm. for the automobile industry. Um, what, what will we see unfold over the next 20 yeah. years? Yeah, one of the interesting patterns we see across industries that are disrupted by new technologies is what we call the competitive shakeout. Uh, it's very often the case that as a new technology emerges, we get massive entry. Uh, entry from entrepreneurial startups entering the industry, uh, incumbent firms diversifying into that industry. And then eventually, there's this competitive shakeout where the, uh, the companies start to either merge and acquire one another or simply go out of business. Uh, so one guess would be that in the next 20 years, we'll probably continue to see a lot of entry into the industry at first, but then we're going to see some companies fail and, and, and go out of business. And we've seen that a little bit with some startups like Fisker and, and others, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see some of the large incumbent players in the automotive sector also struggle with this transition and, and most likely go out of business. Mm -hmm. And I guess the one... Um Unknown, or maybe another competitor that is starting to come into this space is fuel cell electric <laughs> cars, and yeah. and that could change kind of the trajectory of electric vehicles moving forward. Yeah, I think you know one of the uh, I think important observations that we make in the report is this idea that you have an electric vehicle, but electric vehicle can be powered by multiple sources. So you have, of course, battery-powered electric, which I think is what most people think about when they think of electric vehicles. And in some ways, they have a lead in terms of being the technology standard because of the efforts of Tesla and others. Um, but you have had this other technology, uh, hydrogen-powered fuel cells, uh, which is a concept that's been around for 
for decades, but again, is starting to get more and more traction. And we have companies like Toyota making significant investments there as well. And as often as the case when we have these new technologies, um, we might likely see a standards battle kind of break out in terms of whether hydrogen fuel cell vehicles versus battery-powered electric vehicles will be the dominant platform for uh, for the future. Um, probably too early to determine which will uh, will be the dominant platform. Again, uh, battery-powered electric has a, has an early lead here, um, but again, there's substantial uh, investment going on in hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicles as well. Right, and with someone like Toyota, who has been here before in terms of bringing some disruptive technology to the market with hybrids, um, that's a heavy hitter that's putting forth fuel cells. Absolutely. And one that needs to be taken seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Now, in the past, uh, we've seen regulation be a key driver of a lot of the innovation, in particular for automobiles, in terms of driving efficiencies. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think is driving the movement now, and and what needs to happen to kind of speed up decarbonization of automobiles? Yeah, I think I think sometimes there's a misconception that um, there'll be no demand for electric vehicles unless there are you know government provided incentives. Um, I'd rather think of it in terms of what we call S-curves, in that there are, there's improvements in technology that take place over time, and eventually that technology will overtake existing technologies in terms of any number of dimensions of merit, maybe uh, in terms of cost, in terms of efficiency, in terms of even things like range and performance of the, of the vehicle. And so what we have to think about then is when do those government incentives have the most impact on driving the technology forward and shifting the market? Um, in some cases, you could argue that we're getting towards kind of neutral uh, uh, comparativeness between some of these technologies where maybe you don't need those government incentives. Um, I think in other cases, you know, absolutely, they can be important drivers. So let's take, uh, of course, electric vehicles again. Uh, a couple things to think about. You know, one, there's a large installed base of gasoline-powered vehicles. And so if we're going to have a switch, you know, you might want to incentivize people to get those vehicles off the road and substitute with electric vehicles vehicles. Um, So that could be an incentive system, maybe a car buyback program uh, and the like. Um, The technology is still nascent enough that those incentives do help drive adoption just on the the front end of uh, purchasing as well. That can be an important driver. It could be things like the fueling infrastructure or the recharging infrastructure. Um, How do we build out uh, either an electric charging infrastructure or hydrogen fueling infrastructure? Um, That's another role the public policy can play. And then last but certainly not least, policy can drive uh, just simple R&D and innovation. You could subsidize uh, those expenditures and the like to help drive the technology forward. So there's a there's a lot of levers that can be pulled that help advance what we hope is this kind of uh, natural progression to the new, the new technology. Right. And we're already seeing some of those prices for electric vehicles um, coming down with mm. Tesla unveiling their Model 3 mm. that is uh, priced at $35,000. That's Still expensive, but getting close to gasoline parity. So um, uh, it's a good point. Uh, Now, talking about, still talking about regulation, you and I have had a lot of discussions about the potential impacts of the U.S. pulling out of the Paris Agreement. Yeah. Um, And you believe that actually this isn't the worst thing that could happen. 
uh, to green tech innovation. Talk a little bit about that. Well, yeah, to be, to be clear, uh, I, I think it's actually an atrocity that we're pulling out of the, the Paris Accord, um, and I think it will have huge impact on our standing as a country and as a leader on some of these important issues. So uh, I don't support that. However, I think there's other, again, policy instruments and levers that we need to be thinking about. Um, I think, again, uh, supporting R&D and innovation is going to be critically important here. You know, what is our technology policy? Do we even have one as, as a country? Um, I can assure you that China has a policy, and they are pursuing it to try to push some of these new technologies so they will be the dominant player in them moving forward. Um, so there are important choices to be made. So it's not that I don't think Paris is important. It's that let's not lose sight that there's a you know, hundred other things we need to be thinking about as well in addition to Paris if we're going to try to advance these technologies and have them um, be disruptive in the way that we think is necessary to make progress on things like climate change. Right. And I think the investment being made by companies, states, cities, um, in lieu of federal policy will help continue the momentum. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, uh, again, uh, you have to think about the multiple uh, uh, pressure points there are. And even these efforts in other countries, of course, will drive demand in the U.S. and drive U.S. manufacturers to adopt uh, new technology as well. So it's, it's, a, it's a little more complicated than just you know, flipping incentive from federal government and you know, the industry is created or not. Great. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. More information on the decarbonization of the automotive industry can be found in our report titled Path to 2060, Decarbonizing the Automotive Industry, available on the Business Innovation and Climate Change Initiative website at www.darden.virginia.edu slash innovation climate. Join us for our next podcast on the decarbonization of the energy sector. This is Becky Duff for Research and Relevance at Darden.